Thank you, Lori. If you have your Bibles, keep them open to Matthew 28. Um, that's the passage we're going to be studying today. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we want you to be able to follow along. So grab one of those blue Bibles in front of you. We'll be on page 698 of that. Uh, so you can see that what we're talking about today isn't our opinion. It's, it comes directly from the Word of God. Let's pray before we get into this. Father, we thank you for your Word. God, we thank you for your people. We thank you for every person who's in this room today, God, because we know that you brought them here for your own distinct reasons and purposes. And God, I pray that you would make those abundantly clear to us. Um, that they would be more clear than, than all the things and all the baggage that we brought in ourselves today, but that you would speak uh, freely and unhindered in our lives this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Standard Oil Company was founded by John Rockefeller in 1870. Uh, and it quickly became one of the wealthiest countries in America, and so it decided to become the first and largest multinational corporation. They wanted to be the first company to go and make, business, go and make money overseas, and so one of the strategies they had to make their way into to foreign nations was to hire representatives. They called them missionaries, right? And these missionaries would know the culture and language of a foreign country and could represent standard oil and negotiate uh, business taxes, pra- practices and tax laws with, with that country's leaders. And so uh, they set their sights on China as it, w- it was and remains just this large nation with a ton of resources. And so they, they began researching who they wanted to do, who, who they wanted to fulfill this position. And they found an, an actual Christian missionary who was in China. And this missionary knew English and Chinese, so that helped. He'd, he'd moved to China years before, so he knew the culture, he knew the country, that would help. He was a perfect fit in their mind. And so they reached out to him, they offered him a full-time job with Standard Oil. And they told him to think of it as, you can, you can still be a missionary, you're just, you're just a missionary for Standard Oil now. And, it, and part of this package was that he, he, he would be offered an enormous amount of money for this task. And he turned them down. So Standard Oil did what all huge companies with endless resources do. They doubled their offer. Just gave, they offered this guy enough money to make him among the world's wealthiest people. And again, he turned them down. And so confused by this, they sent representatives to China to find him and meet with him, figure out why he kept telling them no. And so they, they found him, they asked him, well, I mean, what more could you possibly want? We can't offer you any more money. No one would ever need any more money than this. And the missionary told them, well, you see, you don't understand. It's not that the money's too small. It's that the job is too small. And he told them if he was going to give his life to a pursuit, if he was going to give his life to a goal or mission, then that mission had to be bigger than just making Standard Oil richer. See, one of the most tragic realities of the human existence in the eyes of God is our propensity to settle. Right? Far too many people take this amazing gift of life, and it is a gift, right? It's a gift to exist. It's a gift to be made in the image of God. <clears throat> it's a gift to have a will and identity and soul. And far too many, we get this gift once, and then we take that gift of life and we settle. We settle for jobs that are far too small. We settle for goals that are far too meaningless. We settle for pursuits that are just far too empty. When God designed us and he wants us to think bigger and dream bigger and reach higher than anything that this world could ever offer us. And one of the most often overlooked things about what Jesus can do for your life is one of the most amazing. Jesus can bring purpose and meaning and fulfillment to every single thing you do if you simply just allow him to. We're in the fifth week of our series called Core. And in this series, we're looking at the core values of First Baptist North. What really defines us. What really defines who we are and what we believe and what we do as a church. And in today's core value, we're going to tell you that we don't want anyone who calls First Baptist North home to settle. We don't ever want you to feel as if this life is mundane or boring or just sort of droning on and on and on. We don't ever want you to chase to pursue things that really won't fulfill you. 
Instead, we want to be a church who's united together because we are a church on mission, where we never lose our drive, we never lose our sense of wonder, and we are unafraid of risk or adventure because what we are called to is worth it. And we get this mission from our king. And so to unpack what it is, and we can all be on the same page, we're going to look at Matthew 28, the, the passage that Lori read for you. So look at verse 16. Matthew 28, 16 tells us, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now the first thing we find in this section is the disciples acting in obedience. It tells, Matthew tells us that the eleven remaining disciples, original disciples, they all go to the mountain in Galilee. And why do they do that? Because Jesus told them to. And that's actually not a small detail. It's not filler. And it's not small for a couple of reasons. Jesus is getting ready to hand these guys, in the next couple of verses, a life mission that will be transferred to every single person who becomes a follower of Jesus. So every single person who believes in Jesus, who experiences his forgiveness and salvation and follows him, will also be handed this life mission. And the entire design of this God-given mission is that our experience with it hinges on our obedience. What Jesus is about to hand these guys will be God's plan A for changing and saving the world, and there is no plan B. And the level that each individual church and each individual person gets to take part in this mission and experience this mission and share this mission is the level to which we simply obey it. So the question that's laid before us is, is will we do what he says? And so this is a huge first step. It models the heart of obedience. They, they go to Galilee, they go to this mountain, and the reason they do so is because Jesus said so. Which brings us to the second reason this is not a small detail. Jesus is someone who we simply must obey. If you were here with us a couple weeks ago, we studied this New Testament teaching an idea that, that Jesus has been enthroned as our king. And so as slaves of our king Jesus, we, we, our, the, our goal of our life should be twofold. Number one, we should do what he says. And number two, we should do what pleases him. And I want you to know, this wasn't just an idea that, that later on New Testament writers came up with. Jesus didn't hide from it. Look what he says in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, how awesome is that? And he's not embellishing there. He's not exaggerating. He's just speaking truth. He says, guys, I'm in charge of everything. I want you to realize all authority in heaven over spiritual matters and forces, all that's been given to me. And all authority on earth, where you are now, over the forces and powers of the physical world, over humanity, over everything. Guess what? That's also been given to me. And I want you to see here that nobody questions that. And of course they didn't. And the reason they didn't question is simple. Because they saw him die. He was dead and then he was buried in a tomb. And then he came back to life like it was nothing. And I want you to think about that because we hear that story weekly here. And so we can lose some of its power. Think of this. It's death we're talking about. Death is the one thing that human beings have always feared. It's the one thing that equalizes all of us. Death is the one thing that always ended people's stories. It always cut off their achievements and successes. It's the one thing that no one had ever been able to avoid. And Jesus just laughed at it. He laughed at death. He laughed at the grave. He spit on the idea that the tomb could ever hold him. And so these men on this mountain are staring in the face of someone who died and is now alive. And in fact, he's teaching them. And so when that guy says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, they're like, yeah, of course. That makes total sense. Because you're the king. And the fact that Jesus is the king and all authority belongs to him shapes this place. Shapes FBM. We take our lead from him. We take our command from him. We follow him. That's our job. Last week we read in Philippians 2 that Paul was telling the church there that they needed to be one in purpose and one in mind and one in direction. 
And we ask the question, how is it possible that a church, because think about it, a church is a collection of different people with different backgrounds and different upbringings and different interests and different passions and different ideas. How can that ever possibly be a people completely united in purpose and direction? Well, this is how. All authority has been given to Jesus. And when our king hands us a single mission, all of us, despite our differences, are to shape our lives around that same one mission. And we become one in purpose and direction and thought. And this was an amazing moment on this mountain because everything had built to this. Every time I read this, I think of those 11 men, those 11 disciples and, and all that they had experienced up to this point. Because all of them, right, had, had at one point in their life had their own life plans. They had their own life dreams and goals. And then all, without warning, along comes Jesus. And he called each of them to something so much greater than whatever they had planned for themselves. And for the last three years of their lives, they had learned under him. He had invested in them. He prayed with them and for them. They saw him do things they never thought possible. Those 11 men were eyewitnesses to some of the most miraculous stuff that human eyes have ever seen. And then in a single night, he was betrayed and almost all of them abandoned him. And the man they believed in, the man that they thought was Messiah, was killed on a cross. And for a couple days, there couldn't have been anyone on earth more confused, more hurt, more angry, and more lost than these guys. Because put yourself in the shoes. Here's what you'd be thinking. What the heck was all that about? And what was the last three years for? Was it all a waste or what? And then why they're still trying to process this, these women come to them and tell them that Jesus' tomb is empty and he's alive. And then they look up and Jesus walks right into the room where they are. Can you imagine that? And over the next 48 days, he continues to invest them. And Luke, here's what we're told. We're told that Jesus set them down and then he opened their minds to understand every single thing the Old Testament scriptures say about him. You have no idea what I would pay for that college course. And on, and on all of it, think of it, all of it, all the travel, all the excitement, all the joy, all the heartache and confusion and loss, all the training, all they had experienced had prepared them for this moment. Because on this mountain, Jesus was going to hand them a new dream, a new life mission. He was going to give them their purpose for the rest of their days on this earth. And before we read again what it was, I want you to realize that we are in the exact same position. I don't know all of your life stories that led up to today in detail. But I don't even know the reasons that each of you individually are here today. But I know this, every single thing that God has done in your life, everything that you've ever experienced, all the good, all the bad, everything in between has happened to prepare you for this moment. Because in this mission that Jesus hands his church, we can all find ourselves at some point in the story and so no matter where you find yourself, God has brought you to that point today so that you would surrender and go deeper. Everything that God has done in your life has had this mission in mind. Everything that God does in this world, we can know why. It's this mission that he has in mind. And so it would be really wise of us to know and embrace and live it out. So let's look at what he says in verse 19. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now I want us to break down each part of this mission, each aspect, so we can understand it and more importantly not leave any parts out. Jesus starts by saying, therefore, which means this. He's, he's referring back to the previous verse. He's saying, because I'm in charge, here's what you're to do. And this points to one of my favorite things about Christianity. It's that our faith is not a democracy. God's not looking for our input. 
right? We have one clear boss, and he does not change or shift or alter in any way. He's our rock, and he's our king. And because of that, Jesus says, this is what we're to do. We're to go and make disciples of all nations. That the mission of the church of Jesus is to spread Jesus' fame and name all over the world. So any country, any place, any single person who does not know, believe in, or love Jesus is fertile ground for this mission. The single greatest thing that we can do with our lives is to take Jesus to people in places where they do not know him. And there are a couple words, a couple really important words that are in that sentence. And that's when Jesus says, all nations. And it's important for a couple reasons. This is why at least 12% of our annual budget as a church is spent entirely away from this place. It's been entirely away from FM because we have partnered with missionaries locally and around our world on each inhabited continent who have given their lives to going, to going to places and spreading the name and fame of Jesus Christ. They're taking the gospel to places like Brazil, Germany, Hungary, Japan, the Congo, Haiti, Mexico, South Africa, and more. And as Jesus' church, we will support them with finances and prayer because we believe that even though God has placed us here in Terre Haute, we have a role to play in spreading this gospel to the entire world. It's also why there are constantly teams for this church who travel to foreign countries every year for short-term mission trips. There's one leaving Saturday. Because we believe that by you seeing the world in the name of Jesus, God allows you to understand this global nature of this mission. It takes, you, it takes your eyes off yourself and your own little story all the time. It's also why we've been praying that one day God would raise up a missionary couple from this church and that we would commission them and send them off with our support and our resources for the sake of Jesus and for his, the great mission of making him known. And as awesome as all that is, this calling to go to all nations goes deeper than geography. Because you have to remember who Jesus was talking to. All of Jesus' disciples were Jewish men raised in a Judaism. And so one of the things they had been taught from a very young age was that Jewish people were elite and special and only on them could the favor of God reside. For instance, non-Jews weren't even allowed into the inner courts of the temple. They're seen as, as le having lesser value than Jews. On top of that, there was this group known as the Samaritans, and the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They went out of the way to have nothing to do with each other. And yet, in Acts 1, we find Jesus telling these men that in carrying out this mission, here's what they're to do. They're going to start in Jerusalem, and then Jesus says, from there you go to Judea, and then from there to Samaria, and then from there to the ends of the earth. And the idea is this. There is no one that we withhold the good news of Jesus from. There's no one who's too far gone that can't be saved by Jesus. There's no one that you disagree with enough that you aren't supposed to take the good news of Jesus to. There's nothing that should keep you from sharing the hope of Jesus with someone else. And for whatever reason, far, far too much of church history is, is, is riddled with the fact that we've just forgotten this. Right? Far too much of church history is riddled with Christians withholding the gospel from people they didn't understand and for terrible reasons. Early on, we read it in the book of Acts, it was Jewish Christians who didn't think Gentile deserved Jesus if they didn't follow the law. Later on, right, it was, it was white Christians who stole land from and drove off Native Americans instead of sharing the gospel with them. Right, nowadays, too many Christians are just too quick to dismiss people and treat them in unloving ways. Watch this, as our country has become more and more divided, more and more apt to dismiss others, and, and, and discard others instead of hearing them out and loving them. Far too many people who claim Jesus have followed suit. 
Far too many Christians are, missions of, are missionaries of morality. Far too many Christians are missionaries of the political party far more than they are missionaries of Jesus and his gospel. And so the experience of Muslims, the experience of immigrants, the experience of homosexuals and liberals is not that followers of Jesus love them and reach out to them, but instead that followers of Jesus demonize them. And it's because we are completely ignorant of what we actually believe. It's because we lose sight of the gospel, we lose sight of our mission. The gospel tells us that we are better than no one. But the gospel that says that all of us are sinners in need of grace, and in fact, I'm the chief, I'm the worst of sinners. The gospel that tells us that Jesus died for us, not because we were so good, but precisely, precisely because we weren't. Precisely because we got things wrong. Precisely because we called sinful things holy. Precisely because we chased things that we shouldn't. Precisely because we got all our priorities out of whack. And due to that, Jesus had to die to pay the price for my sins. And so with that in mind, there is no one that I should not share that amazing news with. I have no idea where we get this ridiculous notion that people need to live according to the Bible before we love them. I have no idea where we get this ridiculous notion that people need to live according to the Bible before we share Jesus with them, but we sure don't get it from the Bible. To go to all nations means to go to all people, those who agree with you and those who don't. Those you find really easy to love and those who aren't, those who are like you and talk like you and look like you and those who aren't and don't. Go to all people, Jesus says, and make disciples, which means when we go, there's, there's a really specific thing that we're to give them, and it's the gospel. I want you to see we are not to go to the world and become the morality police. Right, we're not to go into all the world and work on changing their behavior. We're not to go into all the world and try to change the way they vote. No, we are to go to all nations and make disciples of Jesus, right, which means when we go, we offer them him. And once they have him, guess what? He goes to work on all the junk in their life. Once they have him, he changes their behavior by changing their hearts. And he's so much better at it than you are. Because that's his job, not yours. So we go and we offer him and we go with this message. We go with the message that all human beings have sinned. And do that, we are all separated from a God who is holy and perfect and without sin. And this is a problem because if we die still separated from God, then we would get to spend an eternity in hell separated from him. And what's worse on top of that is that there's nothing that you and I can do in our own power to bridge that gap between us and God. There's nothing that we can do to make it right. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this, that God came to bridge that gap himself. So he sent Jesus to, to, to take on the form of a man and live a perfect, sinless life that you and I couldn't and didn't. And then he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in our place as our substitute to pay the price for the sins that we've committed. And then Jesus rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death for all time so that now all who believe in him are forgiven of their sins. His perfection is how God sees us and they're given eternal life in heaven. And Jesus is telling us here, go into the world with that message and that message alone and withhold it from no one which means that when you come into this building we're going to offer this message to everyone i'll be as open and overt as i can if you're here today and you've never believed in jesus christ a big portion of what we do around here has you in mind because we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way you can get to heaven. We believe and know that Jesus Christ is the only way that you can have purpose and fulfillment in this life and have eternal life forever. So we invite you, no, we plead with you to come to him, to give your life to him, believe in him. 
And if you're here and you're just not sure what that means or what that looks like, it just sounds like words to you, man, come talk to us when the service is wrapped up. I'm telling you, you're not bothering us. There's nothing more we'd rather do than to share that with you. It's our mission. It's why we exist. And if you're here and you do know what that means, you've been here long enough, you understand what we're talking about, but you haven't taken that step, then what in the world are you waiting for? It doesn't have to be some emotional perfect moment. It doesn't have to be some song that makes you cry. Or you don't have to wait till I'm done talking. Right now is the perfect moment. So where, where you're sitting, right where you're sitting, just pray in your mind, Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive my sins and take over my life. You do that right now and mean it, you're going to pass from death to life. You will go in this moment from an enemy to, of God to a beloved son or daughter of his. It's why we exist to offer this to you. If you've done that, praise him this morning. If, and if you've just now done that, right, let us know before you leave. We'll all do backflips together. Okay, I, I won't do a backflip. I'll kill myself, but I'll celebrate with you, okay? Because that is awesome and as awesome and as life-changing, as eternity-changing, wonderful as that is, we need to also understand this. That is not where the mission ends. Too many churches stop there. Okay, look at verse 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have two services here at FBN. There's one at 9 and one at 11. I assume you know of the one at 11 since you're here right now. But in our two-service format, though they are different styles, right, we go as far as we can to keep everything exactly the same. So despite the style difference and song difference, we make sure the sermon is the same regardless of whatever service you go to. We want to give the same announcements. We want to promote the same things because people in both services make up the same United Church at FBN. But from time to time, there are things that happen in one service that are just impossible to happen in the other. Right? Special music in one. There was a baby dedication this morning. We didn't make the, we didn't make the Tilford family be here at 9 for that. Okay? So time to time, there are things that are different. But when it comes to baptisms... We made a really intentional decision as a church a couple years ago. And that was this, that we don't want anyone getting baptized in this place without the whole church having the opportunity to celebrate it. And this is why. Because this is part of our mission from Jesus. That in sharing the gospel with people, when they believe in him, we are then to baptize them. And this is a huge step in someone's life. That we don't believe that baptism saves anyone. The Bible is clear that only by believing in the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection can save you. But baptism is hugely important because, number one, it's what our king demands. Number two, it's part of our mission. And number three, it's, it's, it's a line of demarcation for new believers. Because there's an inherent temptation in the good news of the gospel. And that temptation is this, that we want to have all the good stuff without ever really surrendering to Jesus. Who doesn't want forgiven their sins? Right? You're off scot-free. You good with that? Who actually would say no to heaven? And you're telling me that Jesus gives that to me free of everything? Great, I'll take it. But that stuff only comes with true belief and surrender. And so baptism is a litmus test for new believers. Do you just want the free stuff? you just want Jesus to save your hind end? Or are you accepting him as king and Lord? Because in taking the step of baptism, you're declaring that he is your king and you're going to obey him. Is an act of submission and humility to the fullness of Jesus and accepting his authority over your life. And I've heard it said of churches, you are what you celebrate, and I believe that. So whenever Jesus breaks through someone's life and they believe in him, we celebrate that around here. And whenever a new believer decides that they too will obey Jesus and submit to his rule by being baptized, our entire church will celebrate that. And it's why 
you'll, you'll notice we do baptisms right at 11 a.m., right at the end of the Sunday school hour, so people from both services can be in here together because this is our mission. And when God brings victory, we celebrate together what God has done in that person's life. And again, we don't stop there because the mission isn't over. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, he continues, we make disciples, we baptize them in verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now this idea expands on something Jesus has already brought up. I want you to look back and notice in verse 19 again what Jesus tells us to do. He says, therefore, go and make disciples, not admirers. He doesn't want us to go make fans. He doesn't even say go and make believers. He says go and make disciples because belief in Jesus is wonderful. It's what opens the door of eternal life, but your journey with Jesus was never meant to stop there. We never want to be a church around here where we bring you to the point where you believe in Jesus and then we're like, you good? Okay, we're good. We're going to go move on to somebody else. Because a disciple is much more than being a convert. It's much more than being a believer. It's much more than being a church member. A disciple was an apprentice. See, in Jesus' day, a disciple attached himself to a teacher. The disciple identified with him. A disciple learned from that teacher. A disciple lived with him. This is what we call you to. A believer moves deeper to a disciple when they identify themselves with Jesus. The first thing that they want, they identify themselves with is that I belong to Jesus. Believer becomes a disciple when they consistently learn from Jesus, when they consistently share their life with Jesus. It's why we have a twofold goal here. First, we want people to become believers in Jesus Christ, and then we want them to become disciples, to become fully devoted followers of his. This is our mission statement. It says, we exist to glorify God by developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who attract others to him. We stole that happily and freely from Matthew 28. Right, we didn't come up with that on our own. See, first what we want to do is we want God to use this place to make believers in Jesus. We want people who do not believe in him to come to faith in him so they can experience salvation and eternal life. Then we want to baptize all believers to identify them with Jesus. And then we want to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus or disciples who go out and lead other people to him. An essential part of that mission that God gave his church is discipleship. We often know that the mission of the church involves evangelism. Fewer of us realize how important discipleship is to this process. And so here at First Baptist North, we believe that we've been commanded by God to grow you in your faith in Jesus because that will make you more effective at winning others for him. So this is why we offer Sunday school classes. This is why we push small groups so hard. This is why we have Wednesday night family night Bible studies. It's why we have men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies. It's why we gather for corporate worship every single week because, our, because we want to tell both those who don't know about Jesus about him but also deepen the faith of all those who already believe in him. Because our goal for you, right, which we get from the New Testament, is for you to not stay a spectator. We want you to know that your life will be so much more fulfilled when you start pursuing this mission and the entire mission. The sad reality is that the second part of this great commission, the idea that we make disciples and new believers, often just isn't exciting enough for Christians. It's because we just don't understand how important it is. Yes, this kind of process takes years of effort and investment. This is a lifelong journey. This is sharing life with other people, pouring into other people kind of stuff. And there are no visible benchmarks. I'm going to warn you that ahead of time. We're not going to bring somebody up here and baptize them every time they grow a little bit in their faith. 
So there's no real empirical way to track this or report progress or get excited, which is why you'll see it's a just terrible tragedy. You'll see a lot of times when a missionary tells the churches that support them that they want to start focusing on discipleship, they'll watch their support dwindle to nothing because that doesn't fill slideshows and newsletters. And it's frustrating and it's tragic because it shows how ignorant Christians can be about the mission of the church. Our king demands that we make disciples. And we do this, he says, by teaching them everything he commands us. So how do we do that? Well, we use the word. The first core value in this series is, again, why we will always teach the Bible to you. It contains the words of life. It is, it is the revelation of God and Jesus himself. And we've been given the mission as Christ church to educate you and train you in this word. So I want you to see for you, right, the mission that God gave his church involves you in what is really a four-step journey. And I want to make sure you know the steps because at the end we're going to ask you the question, where are you in this journey? And so step number one is when a person believes in Jesus and trusts him to forgive their sins for the first time. That opens up the door for every other step. Step number two is that person then expresses their faith by being baptized. Step number three is that person commits themselves to being a devoted member of a local church so they can be taught the word and grow with other Christians. And then step number four is that person then reaches out to and disciples and mentors other believers who aren't as far along in their faith as them. And throughout this process, just so you know, as soon as you reach step number one, as soon as you believe in Jesus, you are to share him with others who don't know him. That's throughout, right? Which means this, we want to know where you are. We want to know where you are. If you've never believed in Jesus, then our goal for you is to start there just by believing in him. It's the most important of all the steps because it makes every other step possible and it's literally the difference between heaven and hell. So it's a really big deal. But if you have believed in Jesus and asked him to forgive you and take over your life, then we want you to be baptized. And we'd love to meet with you and tell you all about that and tell you what it is. But most importantly, we want you to be baptized because we want you to obey Jesus. We know that your life's going to be so much easier if you just obey him. And if you've done that, then we want you to be committed to being here. Have yourself and your family here. When the church gathers to worship and learn, make the church of Jesus a priority in your life. And if you've done that, then it's time you start investing in discipling other people. And as anyone, right, who's on step one or after, you need to answer the call on your life to share Jesus and what he can do with other people in your life who do not know him. So I'll ask you this morning, how many people are there in your life right now that you are actively praying for and looking for opportunities to share the hope of Jesus Christ with? And would you be embarrassed to say that number out loud? If you're on step three or beyond, how many Christians are there in your life that you're praying for and you're discipling? How many people are you investing in and teaching them and helping them to understand their faith more and more? Where is it that you find yourself in this journey? You need to know the entire reason this place exists is to take you further. Because this is the mission that he has given us as his church. Because we know and believe that you need this. We know and believe that you were created and equipped for this. This mission, this life calling from Jesus is not the job of pastors. It's not the job of missionaries or few elite super Christians. It is the call and mission on everyone who believes in Jesus. In fact, it's why you exist. And so we must be sure that we see the promise at the end of this. Look at verse 20. The last half of verse 20, here's what Jesus says. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now here's why Jesus saying that is so important. 
you can't do this. Jesus has given you a life mission that you simply cannot do. He's given his followers a life mission they simply can't accomplish. Don't believe me? Let's look back at verse 17. I want you to notice something in verse 17. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, I want you to understand what happened there. I want you to really understand what that verse is telling you. Jesus, see, in the last three years, Jesus performed endless amounts of miracles. He displayed power and authority beyond what anyone has ever seen. And he then went to the cross and died a brutally horrendous death. And three days later, he walked out of his grave like it was nothing, rising from the dead. And there were people on this mountain who knew all that and saw him and were like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not convinced. Is there anything else that you can do to kind of assure me that you're the real deal? Which means this, if that didn't convince them, you've got nothing. You've got no chance, right? So here's the promise, and it's the best part of the entire mission. Jesus says to us, you dedicate your life to this mission, and I'll always be there with you. I'm going to go ahead of you and work before you get there. I'm going to be there in the moment. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to stay behind and work behind you. I'm going to be the one who removes the scales from their eyes and helps them to see the truth. I'm going to be the one who softens their heart. I'm going to be the one who moves in their lives in ways that makes them more open to the truth of me. And so all that's left for us is to pray over our mission and be faithful to it because he does everything else. He does all the hard work. He gets all the credit. He gets the glory. And what this does for us is not only boldness, but it takes away all our hesitations. Well, I just don't know enough to share my faith yet, we say. Well, you know what Jesus did for you, right? That's all you need to know. In fact, oftentimes, brand new believers are the most effective at sharing Jesus with others because what he can do in their lives is freshest and most real to them. Well, I just don't know what I would say. Well, great, it's not up to you. It's not your job to say the right things. It's not your job to convince them. That's Jesus' job. You just tell them about what you know about him. Well, what if they ask a question I don't know? That's easy. Say, I don't know. Then try to look into the answer. Again, it's not on you to convince them. It's not on you to have all the answers. Jesus will be there. What if they reject me? Well, what if they do? Jesus is there with you, and he will be honored and see you by you being unashamed of him and the mission that he gave you. And his opinion means most. He invite him into this work. Pray before you talk to people. Trust the results to him, and this will take all the pressure off of yourself. This is a tremendous promise. So first, this, this is the core value of this place. Because Jesus is our king, we need to live on mission. We've been given a clear and direct life mission. We've been given a dream that is so much greater than all our pathetic little dreams. We've been given a purpose and an identity, and we must live that out. And so here's what this means. Every person who is in your life, God has brought along your path for this reason, for this mission. Yes, some you'll have a fleeting influence on. Some you'll be more hands-on than others. But when it comes to your spouse, when it comes to your children, when it comes to close friends, all of this, you're to view everyone with a gospel view. So, for instance, parents, your job is to not make sure that your your kid is on the honor roll or starts on the sports team. Your job as a parent is to make sure your child is, is... learns about Jesus, and when they believe in him, you are the ones who disciple him deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper levels of faith in him. That is your mission, mom and dad. The Bible is clear on that. 
In your marriages, you're to model gospel submission and love to one another. Large portion of your marriage needs to be each of you pushing each other deeper and deeper into Christ. And yes, there are people in your life who do not know or believe in Jesus. And I'm going to tell you why. They exist in your life because of that reason exclusively. Which means this. You have the job that you have because of the gospel. There is a way, you can't convince me there isn't. There's a way, there's probably multiple ways that you can use your current position, whatever it is, to be on mission for him. I can remember distinctly watching my father come to this realization. He read a book called Experiencing God that was written by Henry Blackaby and it helped him realize that whenever he went to work, God was already there. And not only was God already there, but God was already at work there and all he had to do was just join in. And I watched his entire view change and never taught the same way again. He never coached the same way again because he was on mission. This means that you live where you do because of the gospel, because of the mission. Or did you think your neighbors were just by accident? You think it was just random chance that you moved next to them or they moved next to you? Our God is not a God who does things by chance or random. And the Bible tells us he's always on mission. He's always working on people. They were sent to you. This means we also never settle. We never settle for less than this mission. It is true that the vast majority of Christians will never be called by God to move to a foreign country and be a missionary. But it's also true that every single follower of Christ is to take a missionary mindset to exactly where God has placed them. Do not settle for your life being entirely about chasing a paycheck. Do not settle for your life being entirely about chasing the American dream. Do not settle for chasing more and more stuff and bigger and bigger stuff. Make your life on mission. And in doing so, don't settle in either. Because we must know and recognize that our God is a God who is always on the move and he moves his people. Just recently, I've had to say goodbye to some really good friends, but I know I can know from knowing them, it was clear that God was moving them away from here. And I know Jesus enough to know that the reason why he was doing so is because his mission was waiting for them to wherever he took them. That there are people there that they will come in contact with that they wouldn't have if they'd have stayed here. And so God is sending them to those people to share his love, share his gospel, share his son with them. So this is relevant to to college students who are in a town for just a few years, to retired people. It's relevant to whatever stage of life you are. Be fully present wherever you are. But never take up so many roots that you wouldn't leave if God decided to send you elsewhere. Because we understand, don't we, that for our entire life here, we're just passing through. This isn't your home. This is not where you're going to find rest. No, we've been given one life here, and and it's not designed for rest. That life is to be lived on mission. This is the only good thing that you won't be able to do in heaven. This is your one shot to being on mission. So I'll ask again, where do you find yourself in the story? If you've never believed in Jesus more, then you need to take that first step by believing in him today. Insert yourself into what will be the lifelong mission of making him known, starting with you. If you have believed, but you've never been baptized, then, then you need to follow him in obedience, in obedience and get that c- c- covered and get, be baptized. If you haven't fully devoted yourself or your family to this place or any or church, if you live somewhere else, you need to fully devote yourself and your family to a local church. You need to make it a priority to be with the church, to study the word. You need to join us on Wednesdays or jump into a small group. Whatever level.